Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I was heavily into, well, I didn't think. I thought I was just, it was just a normal social media user. I thought that it was normal to watch um, reality TV shows, but I just started to get this sense that I didn't have an original thought anymore, that all of my thoughts and opinions were an extenuation of somebody else, whether it was thoughts and opinions from the way that I was taught growing up, or if it was thoughts and opinions from just what I was consuming every day with social media and TV. And so I, I would, that kind of, it just kind of freaked me out. It was like one day it just kind of snapped, like, that's not your thought. Do you even have a thought? Like if somebody asked you this question, it just keep, my answer just sounded like a regurgitation of what someone else has said. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dream. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. It's your host, Jerome, and today we are going to do something different. <laughs> I've got Chandra Mentor with me, and she just got back from Peru. She went down to have this experience that I've only heard about on podcasts and I may have seen a video or two on Netflix, but... um. I was, when she told me she was going, I was like, what are you doing? Are you serious? You're going to do what? And <laughs> she said, yeah. I was like, do you know anybody that's done it? She said, nope, just what I've seen on YouTube. And she might have talked to somebody. I was like, okay, this is insane. So this is our brave adventurer, Chandra. How are you? I am amazing. <laughs> So I messaged you and you said, I asked if you died because I said, well, call me when you get back so I can find out what happened. And you said, I will. And then I messaged you and you're like, I said, did you die in Peru? And you said twice. And I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense, right? <laughs> like, you can't be messaging me and you died. And <laughs> it just sounds so silly. But anyway, so, but then I was like, did you really die? Like, did they, like, have to do, like, CPR or something? 
And she was like, no, I left my body and died. And she said, I'll explain it to you when we start recording. So here we are. Yeah, so I kind of think I need to take this back a ways to how I even got to the place of wanting to um, to do this ceremony, which is uh, a plant medicine called ayahuasca. So um, I, I guess I kind of started really digging deeper into myself over the last three years or so. And um, it kind of started with a health coach that I had. And then I moved in from a health coach to like a, um, a medium. So I, I was with the health coach for maybe two years. And then for six months um, after that, I, week, I spoke weekly with a medium, or not a medium, a channel. And from there, I just realized that there's so much that I want to know about myself that I can't get from anyone but myself. So it just seemed like I was seeking all the answers outside of myself, but something within me was saying, you have the answers already, but there are things that you need to do in order to be able to tap into, you know, what that is. So, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do. You don't have to go all the way to the jungle of Peru and take this plant medicine called ayahuasca. Um, but for me, I, you know, I was ready to take it to the extreme because I just am ready, so ready for what needs to be uncovered within myself. So, um, my main intention for going was to be able to hear myself, trust myself, um, and just be able to trust my gut when, with, with any situation with, um, I guess with work-related things, with personal relationships, with potential, you know, future romantic relationships, um, to things as small as, you know, I don't know, do I do I want this type of toilet paper or do I want this type of toilet paper? It's 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 as small as that to as large as, you know, big life decisions. And I can say since I've been back, um, a lot of things have been unlocked. So me dying <laughs> was necessary, I suppose, to get to this place. So it just kind of made uh, my transition a little bit easier. And so when I went there, you know, I, I only knew one person personally that had done it before. And it was like I was just waiting for this person to show up so that I could actually know where to go. So this person went to a place called Namiakaya in Peru, in uh, Pucapa. And so the reason I wanted to go to Peru is because it's indigenous to Peru. And the ceremonies are done, basically you're in the jungle. So you have no, no connection to anything outside. You have no phone service, no Wi-Fi. I mean, you could, you could tap into it if you wanted to, but I did not. I wanted to make sure that I was completely um, open and unattached to anything outside of what I was there for. So in Peru specifically, and where I went, 
I'll set the picture for you. So we, we arrive and everything, like all of the, the housing structures are made out of wood. Um, whenever we wanted to go to the bathroom, we had to go to an outhouse, which is uh, a com compostable outhouse. Um, we were like walking around with, I had dirty feet the entire time because you can't wear your shoes inside and it's hot there. So you're basically walking around with some type of open-toed shoes on and it rained a little bit. So you're walking around in mud and dirt and um, the water there was cold. So there were no warm showers or anything like that. Everything was cold. Um, and then the space that we actually did held the ceremony was like this big, circular um, structure and it had I don't want to say mosquito net but netting instead of windows around the outside and this the structure actually had four bathrooms attached to it they were still compostable toilets so and we'll get to <laughs> why that's important a little bit later um, and there were um, 20 of us that came, and I'll, I'll explain why this is such a, uh, an amazing and powerful plant medicine. Um, so we're in Peru, and everyone that came were people from the U.S., all the way up from Alaska um, to, you know, the, main, the mainland of the U.S., then Finland, um, Ireland, London, Australia, France, Italy, um, like people were from everywhere. And it really seemed like the perfect time for me to come. It seemed like some of our lives had coincide, coincided in past lives. So it seemed like there was no other time for us to be there than the time that we actually decided to show up. So to get into the actual ceremony, um, I was there for nine days. And in those nine days, I went through four ceremonies. Um, mind you, I didn't know that typically people only do three ceremonies. <laughs> so we went through four ceremonies. And uh, the first day we got there, we kind of relaxed, got to know each other, did a little workshop. The second day um, was our first ceremony day. So on ceremony days, we would only eat breakfast and lunch. And also, one other thing about doing ayahuasca is there's a diet, or they call it the dieta, that you have to follow, which is more than just foods you shouldn't eat. So it's basically a plant-based um, a plant-based diet with minimal salt, no sugar, um, you can have eggs. Um, you shouldn't really have gluten. But outside of that, there are things, that, also things that you can't consume, like you shouldn't have, and this is all two to three weeks before going, and then again, two to three weeks after coming back. So no sex, um, no violent uh, movies, books, anything like that. Um, just anything that would take you to a lower vibration is are things that you should avoid during that time. Um, and I can tell you, I definitely understood why when we got into ceremony. So um, the first ceremony day, we did a couple of workshops and 
um, I'm actually sitting there like, wow, I'm really one of these crazy hippie people right now. (laughs) Seriously. So (laughs) one of the workshops was us like, so they had, they were playing a little bit of music and they were like, we just want you to move your body the way that your body wants to move. And me, like I'm doing a two step because I'm like, that's what my body wants to do. And, you know, other people are like, you know, moving their arms around and like just doing all this weird stuff, but nobody is judging anyone. It's just really what, where you are, it's a part of the medicine working with you. So for me, I knew that that's still a part of me that I need to work on, just being comfortable doing whatever, however I really feel. But in the moment, I felt like doing a two-step. So I did a two-step. There were moments where they said, you know, just release sound. Whatever sound your body wants to make, just let the sound out. So people are making sounds, like whatever sounds. And I'm over here like, like I just like kind of hummed. Like I did the ohm sound (laughs) because I'm like, I don't know. My body doesn't feel like making a noise. It kind of just wants to be quiet. Um, But then some of the very impactful parts of the workshop that led into the first ceremony were that they had us kind of match up with someone that we hadn't really talked to yet within the 20 of us that were there. And so there was one where we kind of had to mirror each other. So we would be standing in front of each other and whatever movement the other person made, we would make and vice versa. We went back and forth with that. And then another portion was we had to like gaze into each other's eyes for what seemed like a very long time, like just straight into each other's eyes. And then at the end of that, while we were still gazing into each other's eyes, like one part, we put our hand on our heart. Like I put my hand on my heart and then my partner put their hand on their heart. And then we had to like put our hand on each other's heart, um, which, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever really tried to just look at somebody in their eyes for a long time. <laughs> Initially, if, if you can get past the, dis- the discomfort of it, it becomes very comfortable. You know, it's, it's not as uncomfortable anymore because what it seemed like for me was that in that moment, I let go of all of my fears and or insecurities. So it's like, I don't care what you, I'm allowing you to really look into my soul now. So that's kind of how that felt. Um, And then the one that was really impactful for me was they had us turn back to back with a different partner. And um, they were just saying like, close your eyes and just sit back to back with your partner and just give a little bit of your weight, give a little bit of your burdens to your partner. You know, sometimes it's okay to let loose and just let your burdens go. So when you feel ready, just kind of lean back and give your burdens away. And that, and it was a vice versa. And so in that moment, I had, you know, a realization that went into the first ceremony. And then on the flip side of that, the second part of that exercise was to actually tell our partner what one thing that we felt was holding us back. And so my thing was, um, and I didn't, I didn't think that I thought that I was just making something up at the time, but what I said was, I feel like I'm still holding, I'm still holding on to my mother's burdens, which, you know, Jerome knows that I took 
a long time, like a year to spend specifically with my mother dealing with some issues that she has with herself and then dealing with our personal issues. And within that year, even up to now, I felt like, okay, I'm good. Like, you know, we tackled everything and we've gone as far as we can. So in the moment when, when that came out of my mouth, I kind of felt like, oh my God, that's a lie. I just said something just to say it. So now we get into ceremony. Uh, so the way the ceremony works is it doesn't start until dark. So ceremony started at 8 p.m. every night. And we had two different sets of shamans. So the first ceremony, the shaman was a husband and wife. They were an older couple. So um, now, mind you, we're in the jungle. So we're wearing headlights or you have a flashlight just to get to the, what they, the structure that we were in, which is called the Maloka. So it's, it's just dark all the time at this, at this point until daylight again. So you walk into, you walk up to the Maloka and you can't shine your light into the space. So once you get up there, you kind of have to turn your light off or dim it outward um, and then cut it off before you walk in. Well, when you walk in, there's only two candles lit in the center. So you really still can't see much. You can only see enough to know where you want to sit. For our group, there were 10 men and 10 women. So they wanted us to separate ourselves because our experiences are very different. You know, you have a masculine energy and then you have the feminine energy. So they wanted us to be separate for that reason, for no other reason than just from their, from what they've seen, it's just best to have all the women on one side and all the men on the other side. So I go in, um, you know, I, I'm the only person of full color there, if you know what I mean. And so I end up being the last person to come in. So I didn't get to kind of choose where I wanted to sit the first night. So I ended up sitting right beside the shaman. So I was the first person that they come to. So the way the ceremony works is um, there were the, the 20 of us that were there to participate, the two shamans, and then there were seven facilitators, like volunteers that are there to help us throughout the experience. So um, the facilitators come in and they go over, you know, the little rules, which there aren't many rules. Um, and... They sage everyone, so they go around, sage everyone, and then after that, they, that's when kind of the ceremony starts. So they ask you if you want what's called mapacho. So mapacho is a, a tobacco, but it's a clean tobacco, and it, it kind of coincides with the medicine. So it, it heightens the experience of the, the effect and the experience of the medicine. So I took it, you know, you don't, you don't inhale the smoke. What you do is the same way you do with like sage. You just, you just smoke it in and then you let it out, but you let it like I would smoke it. And then I would blow the smoke down this arm. I would smoke it in and then I'd blow the smoke down this arm. And then I just kind of smoke a circle around me and then put it out. Also, everyone has a purge bucket in front of them. Um, because ayahuasca, <laughs> you, purge. <laughs> you purge with ayahuasca, uh, so you have a purge bucket and a, some toilet tissue. 
for you to blow your nose or whatever you need to do. And then also, like I said, you know, not everyone just purges by throwing up. Sometimes you purge the other way. Oh so, my God. <laughs> <laughs> when you go to the back and mind you, there's 20 of us and only four toilets. So when you go to the back, you have the composting toilet and then they also did put a purge bucket in each toilet so we'll get to that i needed that on three occasions oh my god so um when when the ceremony starts the shamans the this particular set of shamans goes um the female shaman started with me and then the male shaman started with the person next to me. And then when they were done with, with me and her, the female shaman would skip the person that he was previously at and go to the next person and so forth and so on. So everyone got one shaman once. So what the shamans are doing is they come around and they sing. So after everyone has taken the medicine, now mind you, the medicine the first time you take it is not bad. It tastes like... I don't know, kind of similar to, it's the consistency of warmed chocolate, I would say. Cause it's, so it's kind of thick and it's dark. It's like a, it's kind of hard for you to talk about this. Cause I still taste, I can still taste it. Cause when it gets really gets in you, it's disgusting. So <laughs> it's a, it's like a maroon color, really mm-hmm. deep maroon color. And, um, it's thick and it didn't taste bad. I'll just say the first time it didn't taste bad. So because I was the first person that they, that one of the first people that they came to on the the first, and it's the first ceremony, my first shot of it, so to speak, didn't really take. So I just was feeling nauseous. Um, I just felt nauseous for a long time even as the shaman was singing to me. So typically what happens is when the shamans come around and they start singing to you and what they sing is it's called Icaros. So when they start singing to you, the Icaros similar to the smoke, um, it heightens your experience. So it really gets you, it gets to what you're there for. Um, and you know, I'm there, like, I'm like, I'm ready. I am ready for whatever is supposed to happen. I didn't want to do a whole lot of research because I I wasn't afraid. I was not afraid to do this at all. I just was ready for whatever I was supposed to get from it. So I, I asked for a second dose, um, about an hour or so in, but once I took the second dose, it was maybe three minutes and I was in the back on the toilet, um, purging from the front and the back. So, Oh my goodness. But did on you, that, did you prepare properly? Like, I mean, did you actually do the fast and all of that stuff before yeah. you got into it? Yeah, okay. I did. So that time I was able, right after I, I did my purge, my initial purge, I was able to come back to my mat and kind of lay down. So my, and, and let me just say my, I set in a specific intention before every ceremony. So my intention for this ceremony was um, to be able to hear myself, tap deeper into myself and trust myself. So what they call mother ayahuasca, because it's a, it's like a feminine presence that you feel. Some people even meet her and see her in visions. 
um, I, I didn't have any visions. I had more awareness of what things that were around me. I could sense a presence around me more than any type of visions. The people who had visions saw like, it's like if you close your eyes and you see all the lights, but when you open your eyes, you still see them. So you see like squiggly uh, neon colors. And it's kind of like you're in a cartoon. That's kind of how people describe it. And, you, and, and they're like wheels and like those puzzle pictures where you kind of have to cross your eyes and then uncross them to see mm-hmm. the design. That's kind of what people typically see yeah. when they do ayahuasca. I, that wasn't my experience. Um, which was fine with me. So when I went to lay back down, basically I didn't get the answer to my intention until the very end, because apparently my answer was so much, so much easier to give me that. So, um, apparently mother ayahuasca thought that I needed to learn another lesson first before I got to what my intention was. So I go back and lay down on my mat and I start rocking. Like my body is, I'm laying on my right side. I'm laying on my right side and then I'm just like rocking uncontrolled. And I'm not, no, no, no. Before the rocking started, actually I go back and I lay down and I'm giggling uncontrollably. Like I can't stop laughing. I'm just laughing so hard. And at one point I have another friend that was there, but she wasn't, he wasn't doing it at the same retreat place that I was. So at one point I thought, I thought we were like talking to each other (laughs) telepathically because there was a lot of, um, a lot of us in the room were talking to each other telepathically, which I didn't know was a thing that happened, but it's a thing. So I thought I was talking to my friend and I was like, are you making me laugh? Stop it. Like go back over to where you are. You need to be in your own experience. So um, I talked to her later and she said she kind of felt something during one of the ceremonies. Like she thought about me, but I guess we weren't really talking to each other. So I guess that was kind of me being eased into what was about to happen. So what did happen after that was the rocking. Like I started rocking and it's a rock as if, um, I think a lot of people might be familiar with when you're a child and you are just really unconsolable or inconsolable an older person, typically it's not your mom, like a grandmother will just rock you so hard until you just are like, all right, I give in, I'm gonna go to sleep. Um, that's what the rocking felt like. It felt like, it felt like a grandmother rocking me. So the rocking motion was to console me during the, tra- the traumatic experience that I was about to have, to have. So as I'm rocking, I feel... And it's not a it's not an actual feeling of someone poking me, but it's a it's a sense that whatever I'm feeling right now is someone being prodded to do something that they don't want to do. And it was very uncomfortable. So when I came out of that, and mind you, I think I'm still in my body at this point. I hadn't I didn't realize that I had left my body because I was still aware of the room um, that I was physically in. So I kept having similar experiences to that. And they weren't, I realized they weren't my own experiences. Like I've had, I know what trauma it was, it was showing me, which I've had my own trauma with that. 
but it wasn't my trauma. What I believe it was showing me was the trauma of women in my family, like women that I know and women that I never met. And it's, it's a specific type of trauma. Um, and I know that one of the experiences was, was of my mom. And when, when I started to come out of it and the rocking kind of stopped, like, so you know that you're out of it when you can kind of breathe for yourself again. And when you just feel like a, like a weight lift and I can move myself again. So I'm out of it and I'm just crying uncontrollably because I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe you had to go through that. Nobody should have to go through that. I can't believe I never believed the things that you told me about it. Just the feeling of that, I understand. Now I understand that she, like, she's holding on to so much, which is why she's as sick as she is because she hasn't let go of it and that's manifested in her body. Um, and it kind of goes back to another conversation that I had with someone there before the first ceremony where he asked me about my strength and he was just saying, well, where do you think your strength comes from? And this was just the out of the blue question. It wasn't like, I don't, I didn't know this person. We had all just met like hours before and he was asking me, you know, do you, is there a lot of strength in your family? And I said, yes, but not necessarily the kind of strength that I have. And he was asking me where it came from. And once the ceremony was over, what I realized was that the specific type of strength that I have led me to being able to be in the ceremony to experience this type of trauma that everyone, that so many women in my family have experienced to kind of be able to end that specific type of trauma for future generations. So not to say that no one will ever go through any type of trauma, but they won't go through that type of trauma anymore. Wow. And that is another reason why they say to, why the dieta is very important because that question, like the medicine starts working basically as soon as you decide that you're going to go and which I decided a month or, or I made my, my flight plans and booked everything a month before I actually went. So a lot of stuff that I ingested um, kind of ended up coming into each ceremony. So just, just having that conversation with that person about my strength made me realize the type of strength that I have, you know, how it played a role in that ceremony and what I was supposed to get out of it. Um, and then at the end, now, mind you, that feeling of discomfort and feeling poked and prodded, like having to do things that I didn't want to do, that lasted for hours, hours. And then at the very end, like as I'm crying and I feel this just overwhelming sense of love and like, like somebody's wrapping their arms around me, just showing me how loving everything can be and how it's just a different, a different kind of love that I never experienced before in my life. Um, I started asking questions and like, as soon as I would ask the question, the answer would be there. And it's almost like, it's like, oh my God, the answer has always been there. I just wasn't trusting the answer. So that's, that's how quick she was able to answer the question of my intention. Hey guys, back in 2016, me and the team decided to formalize Dreamcatchers as an organization that could help people achieve their wildest dreams. 
If this is you, please visit our website at dreamshouldbereal.com in order to find out the details of our services and how we can help you become a dream catcher. Talk to you soon. But I had to go through hours of the other stuff to get to the bottom of what my intention was. So in a nutshell, that was my first ceremony experience. Uh, so then I'll just say the ceremonies don't end until about 12, p- 12 midnight or one-ish in the morning. Um, and I didn't really get a lot of sleep that first night because even though even though you're not nauseous anymore and you're not really completely in in it anymore, like you're not completely in the ceremony anymore, you're still kind of going in and out. So when I would close my eyes, it's like I would twitch back awake because I felt myself going back into what I had just experienced. And I was like, no, you know, I want to go to sleep, but you can't really go to sleep because when you close your eyes, <laughs> you go back into it. Um, that and then sounds the day, like a Kevin Hart skit. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, at the end, like in the morning when the sun comes up and you're able to like walk and you have control over your body again, um, they do what's called a plant bath. So again, everything is cold. Everything is cold. So there's a plant bath where they have a bucket full of water and like all these flowers and plants. And I wish, I wish I had gotten somebody to take a picture of me because one of the guys there, he was like, the, I wish I had taken a picture of you with the flowers in your locks. This is just so beautiful. You just look like you're glowing. And what happens is the, the plant bath brings you back to life. Like you're literally walking around like a zombie after every ceremony. So the plant bath, what they do is they take a bowl and they're pouring the water over your head. They're pouring it down your back, your front, your legs. And they do that about three or four times. And it just brings you back to life. It helps because you still then have to go take a cold shower. So at that point, the shower doesn't feel as cold because you've had this cold, like, shock of flower water on you. Um, yeah. Oh, and one other thing I want to say about the shamans is... So because I was the first one the first night and I had never done it before, uh, the shaman, they take, they take the medicine too. And they, so they're able to tap into what you need. And the, what the shaman, the shamans have been doing this since like they, they've been trained to do this since they were children. So I can only imagine how many times they've taken ayahuasca. Uh, but, but at the end when they're done, they, smoke a little bit of the mapacho, they blow it in your face, and then they take some, some uh, it's called um, agua de florita. It's, a, it's a, like a, it's another flower water, and it's very, the smell is kind of potent. It smells good at first until you get into ceremony, and then it's another one of those things that heightens the experience. So for me, I associate the smell with with something bad <laughs> instead of good but what they do is they take a sip of it and then they blow it in your face <laughs> so they blow the flower water in your face they do it like three times so the first time I kind of I giggled because I wasn't you know I wasn't deep into it yet so it was kind of funny I was like well maybe this is supposed to be like an ego thing and are they gonna blow this in everybody's face or is this just me that needed 
to have this blown in my face. But apparently they did it to everybody. So anyway, um, I don't think we had any, any workshops before the second. Actually, we did, but it wasn't like a workshop. So before every, the morning before every ceremony, we would do yoga and meditation. So the yoga was basically more breath work than body movement. So if we were, if that was an hour, then I'd say 45 minutes of it was breath movement and 15 minutes was body movement. And it all helped because when you get to a place within where you're really kind of going crazy, I guess you would say, or you feel really out of control while you're in ceremony, they will come over to you and say, remember your, remember your breathing, remember your breathing. And often it helps. Sometimes it doesn't like that first night. I was, it was the worst for me. Nobody else was having as intense of an experience on the first night than I did. And actually my experience happened to affect a lot of other people's experiences within the room because everybody just, just everybody's stuff is kind of coming together when you're in the space. So the yoga and meditation definitely helped. And so the second, for the second ceremony, my intention was to experience what a healthy, a healthy love between a father and a daughter feels like. And this was probably the least intense night, but I, I, um, kind of, I wasn't as open the second nights because I was very tired. So initially I took the medicine, you know, the, the ceremony is the same every night same way I explained before. So I took the medicine and I got nauseous immediately and I purged early. And again, I was able to come back to my mat and lay down and I just got this feeling of just relax, like just relax and allow yourself to sit back and enjoy the show. So the show at that time was just the shamans going around to everybody singing and listening to what other people were going through. But at a certain point, because this, this night I moved where I was sitting. So the shamans got to me later on. So as the shamans approached me this time, like I said, they, when they start singing, and especially when they're singing directly to you, it heightens it. That's when it really kicks in your experience, whatever you're supposed to experience for that night. So when they got around to me, because I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to relax the whole night. I'm good. They get around to me, and then it starts to kick in a little bit more. And what I realized from the first night was that as soon as everything started to really happen, it was after I went like this. But I wasn't, I wasn't in control of that. I was just like, yeah. So <laughs> I realized that it's like it was asking me, was I ready to go forward? And I was saying yes. So in the second ceremony, I started to feel my head going like this and I went, no, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> so I was, I'm resisting the entire night. And, and what I realized later was the resistance, the resistance made it worse. The resistance made the feeling so much worse, even though I didn't get to experience whatever I was supposed to for that night, because I just kept saying no to it. But it made sure that to let me know that because you're resisting, it's going to be something that I have to dig into deep later on. So there probably is still something that I need to uncover between, you know, my father daughter relationship, 
Um, but that's going to have to happen another, another time because I resisted it that, that night. So after that, that's pretty much the second ceremony. I, I got, I asked in that ceremony though, I asked my father, I was like, is there any burden that I'm holding for you? And, um, the, the, the feeling that I got was no, you've had so much other stuff, you know, you've, you've had stuff on your mother's side. I wouldn't do that to you. Um, and I would like to say after, after every ceremony, we do an integration session where everybody gets to go around and talk about their experience. So, um, and you get to, you kind of take something from everybody's experience. And, you know, some people, some people had very calm, not calm, but like really loving and happy experiences like their entire experience was just happy and not super uncomfortable like after they purged it was just all pretty much all love and light and wow i didn't know life could be this great oh my and goodness through every single ceremony that i had i felt that but it wasn't the whole time it was just briefly so getting into my third ceremony this is the ceremony that i died the first time so Going back to what you read or watch or anything that you, you consume can affect your experience. Well, they had what they called, you know, safe books to read there. So I was reading The Time Traveler's Wife. And I hadn't, I've never seen the movie, but I decided to read the book. So one of the parts that the, the guy said in the book was that because he's a time traveler, whenever he shows up, he's naked. So he doesn't have any clothes, he doesn't have any food, he doesn't have any money. So there's a lot of things that he has to do to get that. He said he's basically done everything except rape. So he had stolen, killed, um, beat up, you know, all these things. So getting into my third ceremony, my intention was to find out what my superpower was and how to use it. And... I start my purge, which this time my purge lasts from the time I go to the toilet until the sun comes up. So I am, I am in the back on the toilet for like from probably 8.30 p.m. until 6 a.m. So I'm back there and this was a front and back purge <laughs> uh, at the same time. So I'm, I'm back there and I finally purge and then things really start to start to happen. And I don't remember a lot of the specifics of this one, but I remember, I remember knowing that I was dying because it took me through so many different things. Like at one, now I, I myself in this life am a vegan. So during my death, it took me outside of my body and I know I wasn't in my body anymore because I didn't hear the jungle anymore. I didn't hear the shamans. I didn't hear people around me. And one other thing to note about when you take ayahuasca is you start hearing whispers. You hear whispers all the time. You hear whispers in ceremony. You hear whispers outside of ceremony. You hear whispers all the time. So the only thing that I heard were whispers. I heard whispers 
And I remember putting my foot, like I put my foot on the wall, but my foot on the wall, it looked like the floor. Like it looked like I was actually on the floor instead of the wall. So it almost seemed like I could stand up. (laughs) (laughs) But at the time I didn't have enough control of my body to actually stand up. So I knew I was out of my body and it made me a cannibal. So I, even though I didn't, I didn't have vision, I could tell, and I could tell the way that my, my mouth was uh, salivating that I was like, I can't tell if I was a human cannibal because I also had an animal instinct. So I was like salivating for raw flesh and I killed something and I beat something up and um, it was just like all these things that I am not, but that I don't want to be. It's it's almost the, the story that I took from that is, which was another conversation that I was having with someone before the ceremony about how darkness doesn't necessarily mean bad and that everything that happens happens for a reason. There's no way that we have a God that would, anyway, not going to go there, but everything happens for a reason, good or bad. There is a reason that it happens and it doesn't make me or anyone else any worse of a person if if I am the one doing it or if I'm the one receiving the pain or or torture. It's just a, necess- a necessity for that time. And so... I really understood that in the moment that even though I'm eating this person, (laughs) even though I am killing this person, even though I am beating this thing up, it doesn't make me a bad person. It makes me, it's something I have to go through at the time. And it's something that apparently they had to experience at the time as well. And so it's almost like a whoosh, like that it happens slowly, but fast at the same time. The scariest part of it is you don't know if you're going to come back because because I have left my body and I don't know where I am and it's dark. So when I open my eyes, it's just dark all around. Really, I didn't know. I was just like, is the sun ever going to rise for me again? That's what I kept thinking to myself. Like, am I really going to come back? Because it seems like I could stay in this place forever. Once the death happened, it was, again, it was like this weight was lifted off of me. It also reminded me that you can't, you can't stop death from happening. It's going to happen. You can't like look it in the face and be like, no, I'm not dying today. Like it's, it's, it's going to happen. And it also made me realize so much stuff that just doesn't matter. It's like so many things don't matter. Um, And I met what I felt was the presence of God. Like nothing else could have made me feel the way that I felt in that moment. It was just kind of like a welcoming. um, It's almost like you've passed that test. If if, one of the things that I've learned is that uh, African ancestry or African traditions believe that we choose we choose our life before we come here and we choose it because 
we there's a there's specific things that we want to learn but we don't remember that when we get here you know we it's kind of like we have to find our way back to it and master it without without having that map that we had when we initially came here so with that in mind it almost felt like okay you've mastered one of the things that you came back for for this life so that's like you you died to come back and finish something else so now you get to go through another lesson that's what the death felt like for me and i'll say i knew it was a death because the next morning when i did the flower bath she started with my legs and i'm looking down at my legs as she's pouring the water and i was like these are my legs <laughs> like these are my legs these are nice and then i'm looking at my hands the whole day like these are my hands and just even in walking it felt a little different i mean i was able to see things differently but it's almost like a death and a rebirth um and again it was just the overwhelming feeling of love i mean even after the first ceremony there were people that were having a hard time and i was just saying like just go through it like once it's over you're gonna feel this love it's gonna feel so great blah 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 and i have never felt this kind of love before in my life so and that's basically what happened for the third ceremony now within the third ceremony i i kind of felt like i had jumped into the fourth ceremony because with ayahuasca you don't know if you're in a different dimension but at the same time, so like sometimes I didn't know if it was me, but somewhere else in time, or if I'm someone else <laughs> in another life, or, you know, you just don't know. All you know is you're not in your body anymore and you're somewhere else. Um, so that was a little, a little scary. And the scariest part was just not knowing whether or not I was gonna come back. So, for the fourth ceremony, um, I knew I was gonna tackle the most difficult thing for me. And I will tell you why this was difficult. So I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine before I left, and he had recently gone to a concert with some of his friends, and two of his friends are a couple, and he was just saying how cute they are, and like they, they, they just love each other so much, and it's like, it's like borderline disgustingly cute, you know? So I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, I, don't, I think I'd be disgusted. And uh, he was just saying like the way that they look at each other and blah, blah, blah. And I was saying, well, huh. I said, well, when a guy looks at me with that much love, <laughs> it makes me want to throw up in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you need to work on that. I said, I know. That is why I'm going to the jungle <laughs> so I can figure that out. Like, why do I feel that way? So for the fourth ceremony, what I my intention was specifically to open myself up to manifesting a healthy, loving relationship. And let me tell you, the, the third and fourth ceremonies were so intense for me because I didn't resist at all. I made sure I stayed in the moment every every moment no matter how intense it got i just stayed in the moment it's like for people who i understood at that time when people say 
you just have to put full faith. Like when people say put full faith in God, like in that moment, I put full faith into the situation and I just let go. It's like I finally just was able to relax, let my arms go and let whatever was about was supposed to happen, happen. So basically a lot of the same things that happened in the third ceremony happened. I died again, but I, it was like kind of violent. So I re- at one point, I just remember... So again, I'm on the toilet. The toilet is a box with a hole with a toilet seat on top of it. The structure itself is like, the computer was the wall that I'm facing. And then there's a wall over here. There's a wall behind me. And then there's an opening with a curtain where you come in. So I'm on the toilet and I feel myself lifted. Like I'm, I I know that I was lifted because I heard, I heard the toilet, like the bottom part kind of clamp from when it, when it separated from my butt (laughs) to go back onto the box. And then it, it lifted me up and then pushed me back. Like, like I'm, I'm literally, (laughs) I'm literally throwing myself against the wall. Like, 10 15 times really hard and i'm not doing it like i'm not the one doing this it's interesting because when i came to kind of came to the next day um they had put a mat in my in the toilet i guess to kind of keep me from hurting myself too much so that whole night like i'm down my head is down in the in the purge bucket the entire night so the next morning, I wake up when I finally come to, my neck hurts. Um, I have bruises. I am disoriented for the majority of the day. I don't think I came back to me because I couldn't, I couldn't make it to the plant bath because I couldn't walk yet. Um, I was disoriented until maybe 3, 3 p.m., 4 p.m., so the medicine took effect maybe at 8.30 on the floor ceremony. And I didn't make it back to my mat until maybe 8.30 a.m. And only, the only reason that I was, I was able to make it back was because one of the facilitators came to me and said, came outside of the bathroom and, and asked, and I don't think if he hadn't said my name, I probably probably wouldn't have come out of it. But he said, Chandra, do you need help making your way back to your mat? <laughs> and I look up and I'm like, I'm back. You know, in the moment, I'm like, I'm back. Wait, can I look around? Like, can I move? I'm like, oh, I can move. Because before, maybe, maybe just moments before he came over, I tried. Like, I tried to get myself up and I couldn't. I couldn't move. And so I said, yes. So I wipe myself the best I can and then I go wash my hands and then I I lay down and I probably laid there for about two hours finally I was able to kind of like zombie walk myself back to um back to my my bed through the jungle and I slept and slept I slept but I was still going in and out of ceremony as I slept and um Finally, later on, I was kind of, kind of myself again, but that's pretty much 
the experience in a nutshell since i've come back the first night that i was back actually on the plane i went back into ceremony again which was a little scary like there are songs that i have to play in my head now to make me stay in my body and not leave so i don't understand what what does the song do to keep you from leaving it keeps my thoughts in check so it keeps me it, it helps me to be able to focus on literally everything. So the song that I keep singing is Everything's Gonna Be Alright, the, the Bob Marley song. And so even if I do happen to leave and drift off a little bit, the song itself just helps me to remember that no matter where I go, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> even if I leave again, I'm going to be okay. So I... I <sighs> How do you, what do you mean you leave and what do you mean you died? So, so being back when I leave, I don't die. So, um, like I was, so I don't know if anybody is, is, is deep into meditation, but I had started meditating and I, I hadn't quite gotten to a place where it's a complete practice where I did it every day. It is definitely a practice now that I'm back, but I would hear like if I was doing a, a guided meditation at the end, the person would say, you know, okay, now come back into your body. And I would think I've been here the whole time. Like I never left. What are you talking about? But now I understand what they say when they say come back into your body, because with certain um, breathing techniques and if you can allow your mind to just kind of calm down and coast, you can, you can just leave your body. And what that means for me is that I have no sense of where I am anymore. It doesn't feel like I'm in the same place that I started out. So if I started out sitting right here in this chair with my eyes closed and I just let my mind kind of calm down, then it feels like I'm no longer sitting in this chair in my house. It just feels like I've gone somewhere else. That's what leaving my body feels like. But for me, like I said, I don't see anything. Like I don't, I don't have any visions. I just sense things, which I was told means I'm probably more empathic. Um, but I just have a sense of I'm no longer where I was to start. And the death, some people say, some people that have experienced death um, with ayahuasca, they say it's like an ego death. It's a death, you know, where your ego really needs to calm down and just die. But I don't feel like it was just an ego death. Like, I feel like a whole many parts of me died along with my ego. Wow. Okay, so... Unbelievable. Would you do it again? If you had asked me this Tuesday or Wednesday, <laughs> I probably would have said, heck no, I wouldn't do this again. But really, I would only do it again if I felt called to the way that I felt called to do it this time. This was, like I said, this is an extreme. Some people are able to tap into themselves 
without doing something like this. But for me, I kind of wanted to fast forward. I just kind of wanted to fast forward it. It's almost like when people do, um, if I take weight loss, for example, if someone gets an actual weight loss surgery, it's kind of like speeding up the process, but you, but there's work you have to do to maintain, to keep, to maintain and to move further into whatever other goals that you want. So for me, this was kind of like, kind of like the surgery to fast forward me to a certain point and then to keep building on top of it from there with different um, practices that I have to do daily. So this is revolutionary versus evolutionary for you, right? As far as a change. Yes. Okay. And where'd you get the courage from to do this? I don't know. I just, I heard about this um, maybe two years ago, just, you know, being on YouTube and... Um, I even think Chelsea Handler, I came across a special that she did where she went and did ayahuasca and talked about the throat, the purging and all of that. And I didn't really get a grasp on what that really meant. But when you learn about it, it's almost like when you learn about it, it's, it's already starting to call you <laughs> to, to look deeper into it because it's, it's trying to grab you to say like, there's something that I can help you with. So. I just, like I said, over the last three years, maybe even before then, because I was talking to, to someone recently about this, that there came a point when um, I was heavily into, well, I didn't think, I thought I was just, it was just a normal social media user. I thought that it was normal to watch um, reality TV shows, but I just started to get this sense that I didn't have an original thought anymore, that all of my thoughts and opinions were an extenuation of somebody else, whether it was thoughts and opinions from the way that I was taught growing up, or if it was thoughts and opinions from just what I was consuming every day with social media and TV. And so I, I would, that kind of, it just kind of freaked me out. It was like one day it just kind of snapped, like, that's not your thought. Do you even have a thought? Like if somebody asked you this question, it just keep, my answer just sounded like a regurgitation of what someone else has said. So I got off of social media. I stopped watching um, reality TV. And in doing that, I guess that was kind of the start of me discovering myself and what I really think and what I really want to do for me and for my future etc. So like, I guess it kind of started there. And I don't know that I would call it a strength or a or courage is just what I what I feel called to do. I feel I think like it was curiosity. It's curiosity, but it's more I know there's something way deeper in me that I hadn't tapped into. And that was the the only way that I knew to, I won't say the only way, but it was a way for me to really just kind of jump deeper into who I am at the core of me and what I really want. Did you find what you were looking for? 
do you know? Um, I get the sense that there's still work to do. I mean, there's always going to be work to do. But as far as my initial reason for going, which was to no longer have to seek outside guidance, not to say that I never will, but not feel like I have to have the guidance of something outside of me to answer questions. Yes, I definitely feel like I have the ability to answer the questions myself. Is that clarity or is that confidence? What? This both. It's clarity and confidence. It's clarity of mind and it's confidence that the clarity is real and that it's coming from me. It's coming from a part of me that knows that that's the truth and I just need to go with it. Trust your gut. Essentially. <laughs> so what about this process got you there? Got me to clarity? Got you to decide that you should trust your gut? All of it. Every single, every part of it. Every part that I told you, every part that I probably left out. Um, just every part of it got me there. Uh, definitely the deaths got me there because it taught me that there's one of the things I learned that fear really is not real. It's false evidence appearing real. That's really what it is. It's not, it's not real. Um, and I mean, not to say that your, your body doesn't give you a sense that you should be in fear because there are times when, you know, we have a mechanism inside of us that says somebody's about, you know, someone's about to run around the corner and eat you. But as far as like things that we fear that just, they haven't happened. We just have this fear for no reason. Um, even to the point where the fears that I had around love and relationships, they didn't even come from me. They didn't necessarily even come from my family. They came from things that I've been holding on to in me that happened generations ago that I had, that I had to seek that out to be able to let it go and move on and be happy in my life. So all of it, just all of it kind of <laughs> got me to this place of clarity especially the deaths and the kind of feeling of being reborn again. What are the three biggest lessons that you took away from your experience? Um, the first one I would say is definitely that fear is not real. Um, a lot of what we think fear is, is just not real. Um, the second one is that I am never alone. I'm never alone and I'm always loved so much by so many people that are here, entities that are not here, and that I, I truly have nothing to worry about. And third, what is meant to be will be. There's thousands of other lessons, but those I think are to be the top three. I love it. And so what are you most grateful for in this experience? The experience itself. I'm just, I'm grateful for 
the people that I went through this with. I'm grateful for the facilitators. I'm grateful for the um, the couple that started it. I, we didn't even get to meet them, but just the way that it was set up is so, it's in a way, set up in a way that you, you can't even complain about it. You know that everything that is done is for the greater good of what you're there for. Um, I'm just, I'm grateful that someone years ago figured out that if you put the ayahuasca plant with vine with the chacrona leaves and you boil it for a couple of days that it does this like i'm just i'm grateful for for it all for all of it what's the one thing you would like for the listeners to take away from our conversation to i guess to really kind of step back for a second and assess who you are and if what you want really comes from something that you want or I guess to kind of step back and think about your own thoughts. Are they your own thoughts? Are they the thoughts of your family? Are you still seeking approval of someone else? Um, And, you know, are you really are you really taking care of the number one thing that you brought to this world, which is yourself? Because if you're not taking care of yourself, then you really can't do much for anyone else. Because I know, you know, outside of this type of conversation that we're having, your podcast and your business is about professional development and you can't, develop as a professional if you don't develop yourself personally first the whole person the whole person not these buckets everything impacts something else and the minute that we try to separate life into compartments is the moment that we lose who we are because we're people whether we're doing real estate or doing ayahuasca or doing whatever whatever we're doing we show up there and so it's about the whole person that's where true change happens and And it doesn't have to be ayahuasca but just find a way if you feel called to to get in touch with your whole person with the deeper person the one that's really inside of you that's talking to you all the time both positively and negatively Wow. This was awesome. Thank you for sharing your experience. Thank you for sharing an eye-opening approach to making a change in your life. I appreciate your journey. Um, I'm happy for you. (laughs) And I think you will impact hundreds if not thousands of people with this message so thank you again chandra and we will talk to you guys on the next episode (laughs) thank you for joining the tribe today we would love to hear from you
Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.